Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. As Marnie said, I'm, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and uh, glad for the opportunity to be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, this is our, our last week uh, of a sermon series in the book of Acts entitled Living the Resurrection Life, where we have looked at various passages in Acts to consider how the Lord is calling us to live out the resurrection as followers of Christ. Uh, the last several weeks has been Easter tide, and today we commemorate the day of Pentecost, which is uh, why you might have noticed the, the change in colors, uh, as Daniel mentioned uh, earlier in the service. Uh, the day of Pentecost is the day that God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church, uh, and the people of God have been empowered to worship with the presence of God dwelling within them. I have to confess that I'm often not impressed by that fact. Uh, I, I agree with Francis Chan when he says that the Holy Spirit is often treated like the forgotten God. Uh, in my experience, I've, I've seen two extremes as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Uh, believers often operate as though the triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Intellect, uh, where if you study hard and think rightly and razor sharply, that, that means you're empowered by God. The other extreme I've seen is believers often operate as though the triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Expressions, where if you feel something strongly and, and express it strongly, it means that you are empowered by God. And depending on your experience with either of these extremes, you might feel like the Holy Spirit is too rigid and listless or too spooky. And I don't want to denigrate intellect or expressions. I feel like there should be a, a good balance of both. But I, but I do want to be careful to grow in my understanding of the Holy Spirit as he has been revealed in God's word. And when I think of the day of Pentecost, I'm, I'm reminded of the time I got to spend a few weeks in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem. I, I remember standing in the place where it's believed that the people stood as Acts chapter 2 uh, was unfolding. Uh, it was overwhelming to, to stand where the Apostle Peter stood when he preached his first sermon and thousands of people followed Christ. I was there uh, on the day of Pentecost, this was a few years ago. Uh, and I remember being there and there was a crowd of folks there to observe and to worship. And I remember seeing a man who was a Messianic Jew. I remember seeing him on his knees, weeping and, and weeping. And then he looked up at me and some of the folks I was with, and, and he said, don't you understand? Shavuot means God with us has become God in us. Shavuot is the Jewish understanding of Pentecost. Shavuot is one of three pilgrimage festivals that Jews observed uh, according to the Torah. Shavuot is the pilgrimage festival to celebrate the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And of course, uh, this Shavuot, this Pentecost in Acts 2 would be drastically changed moving forward. And this man, with tears in his eyes, said, don't you understand? God, Shavuot means God with us has become God in us. 
And he was so overjoyed that, that God Almighty, the true and living God, is pleased to dwell in us. That we, the church, have now become the temple of God's presence. That's the essence of the day of Pentecost. And I was greatly impacted by that moment because too often I, I just take that for granted. Or I, I get too caught up in all the controversies and debates uh, on the Holy Spirit. But I find myself going back to, to that man with those tears of joy and gratitude in his eyes, reminding me that following Christ means God with you is God in you. So with that in mind, I want to read the account of the day of Pentecost. Uh, we're reading 21 verses, so I'm going to yield some of my preaching time, or at least I'm going to try. Y'all pray my strength in the Lord. Um, I'm going to do that to make room for us who are followers of Christ to be struck by the ripple effects of this event. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand and maybe stretch as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. That's that new, new wine. It can make you speak other languages. I'll take a, <laughs> take a swig of that. Um, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since, it's, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's saying it's only nine o'clock. We're not that, we're not turn up that much. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that your spirit lives within us. Lord, help us become more aware of the goodness of your glory. Lord, I thank you that you, you speak to our hearts. You lead and you guide. So Lord, I ask that in this moment, as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words, my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Christian speaker and author Tony Campolo tells a story of when he was in the first grade. His mother paid a girl in the second grade 15 cents to walk with him to school so that he wouldn't be alone. And when he got to the second grade, he said to his mother, Mama, I'm a big boy now. I don't need this girl walking with me to school anymore. His mother resisted. He said, Mama, if, if you let me walk by myself to school, I will pay you a nickel and you can keep the other 10 cents for yourself. He kept pressing and pressing until his mother agreed. He gets to walk to school by himself. One day at a family get-together, Tony was boasting and bragging about what a big boy he was getting to walk to school. It was going on and on until his mother couldn't take it any longer. She jumped in and said, son, listen, I, I don't mean to, to bust your bubble, but you need to know that you have never walked to school alone. She said, every morning when you left the house, I let you get a house or two down the road and I would follow you to school every step of the way. And when three o'clock came, I would be waiting by a tree and I would follow you home every step of the way. Now, thoughts about helicopter parenting aside, what, what Tony didn't understand was that though he was doing the walk-in, he, he actually had someone coming alongside him that was unseen yet very present. One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples was, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Matthew 28. God will never leave his people alone. But shortly after that, he leaves them. And he ascends to heaven where even now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father uh, in Acts 1. And you can tell in chapter 1 that this was confusing for the disciples. Jesus, you said you'd be with us always, 
and then you're lifted up into the heavens and you're gone. What's going on here? Jesus would often make assertions like that, assertions that would raise tension. Another example of this is in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine being a disciple and hearing Jesus say to you, it's good for you. Some versions of scripture say it's better for you that I go away. How could that possibly be? Jesus, we can't do this without you. We can't do this alone. But Jesus finishes his thought in verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. When you get time, I encourage you to read John 14 through John 16. Uh, In these chapters, Jesus is giving helpful background to who the Holy Spirit is. He is the helper, the comforter. He, He is the spirit of truth. He is the peace of Christ. In these chapters, we see a beautiful display of the eternal interconnectedness of the triune God. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. And throughout these chapters, what we see from the disciples, as Jesus is explaining, is utter confusion. Even John 16, 18 says, we don't know what he's talking about. Because they couldn't conceive this notion that there is someone who can truly help them besides Jesus. They've been walking with him all these years, and they couldn't conceive of more intimacy with God than the reality of walking face to face with Jesus. How could you get any closer to God than that? And we don't truly see the essence of Jesus' words until we get to Acts chapter 2. The almighty, eternal, incomprehensible, most wise, all-powerful, holy, glorious, and loving God has shifted for all time how he will relate to his people because of the resurrection. Because now that God's people are in Christ, the Spirit of God is in the people of God. So what does that mean for us? Three quick observations from the passage. One, the glory of God dwells with us. Number two, humankind's barriers are broken down by the Spirit's power. And three, we live for the day of the Lord. First, the glory of God dwells with us. Verses one through four, we see quite a a spectacle. Um, A mighty rushing wind blowing from heaven. Tongues of fire resting on the 120 people that are gathered together. And scholars note that this imagery of wind and fire is resonant to images that are associated with God's glory. We see it in places like Exodus 20, Ezekiel 43, Haggai 2, 2 Chronicles 7. Fire and wind, and more often than not, these images would be connected to the temple of God or the tabernacle, both places of God's presence. So what we see in verses 1 through 4 is God's glory has found its home in God's people. Which is really what God has wanted all along. Paul Tripp comments on this. He says, we are glory-oriented human beings. 
We are attracted to glorious things, whether it's an exciting drama, an enthralling piece of music, or the best meal ever. God built this glory orientation into us so that it would drive us to him. To live in light of God's glory is not just about being spiritual. It is about recapturing our humanity because this is how every human being was designed to live. Part of what it means to be human is to hunger for glory. And in Christ, God has satisfied that hunger with the Holy Spirit. His glory dwells with us. And we are set free to pursue that glory above all others as we cry out to God for for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in us means humankind's barriers are broken down by the Spirit's power. What happens in verse 5 when these disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit? That they don't just stay in the house and have church. The Holy Spirit propels them out to proclaim the mighty works of God to, to anyone and to everyone. And it's confusing to these people because this group, they're, they're breaking barriers culturally. Jews from across the known world are here, and these Galileans, who shouldn't be able to connect with them, are speaking their language. And it doesn't stop there. Verse 17 and 18 shows us other barriers the Holy Spirit is breaking down. Male, female, young, old, free, slave. God, by his spirit, is drawing together a people that transcends the barriers that so easily separate us. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3, 27, 28. He says that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he's not saying that those experiences no longer exist. I'm still a male in Christ. I'm still black in Christ. Bless God. God designed it that way. Paul is saying... These experiences that I have no longer determine the community that I pursue. Christ is the determining factor of community. So let me just ask us this briefly. Are we still defining our community along lines of separation? Are we still defining our community along the lines of separation? The tragedy of the American church, the world in general, is that believers too often remain as divided as the world around us. Our most meaningful relationships are too often with people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, vote like us, and we're actually resisting the work of the Holy Spirit to make us one in Christ. And the reality is we we can't break down these barriers by ourselves. But if we are truly captured by the glory of God dwelling with us, we will see the Holy Spirit make unexpected relationships in our lives. Lastly, by the Holy Spirit's help, we live for the day of the Lord. Verses 14 through verse 21, and really to verse 40, uh, we see Peter proclaiming the day of the Lord. 
He, he frames his sermon around the last days that are heading toward the day of the Lord, this great and magnificent day, as he puts it. That in the last days, the prophecy of Joel has been revealed. God has poured out his spirit, and he is working through the lives of his people, through visions and prophecy and wondrous works as the day of the Lord comes. And there's so much that could be said here, but uh, what Peter is, is preaching is what is already revealed and also yet to be fully accomplished. These 120 people here are proclaiming the mighty works of God. As the book continues, we see what that work has done. We see these visions, prophecies, and wondrous works proceeding from God's people indiscriminately. When before, this only occurred through special moments and offices. But all of it, all that's happening from the book of Acts and beyond is God empowering his people through the Spirit to live for the day of the Lord. Because on that day, his glory will be fully revealed. On that day, every wrong will be made right. On that day, every tear, every tear will be wiped away. On that day, the crooked places will be made straight and the rough places will be made plain. Come, Lord Jesus, hasten the day when the wicked will cease from troubling and the weary will be at rest. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. In the meantime, we live for that day. We love, we serve, we worship with the understanding that that day is coming. It's coming. The Holy Spirit is in you saying, hold on. It's coming. And so in verse 21, Peter says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love Dr. Tony Evans' thoughts here. He says, calling on the name of the Lord is a specific act of Christians appealing to a higher court for divine intervention in human affairs. Divine intervention in human affairs. We call on the name of the Lord because we need divine intervention in our human affairs, in our hearts, in our society, in our churches, in our marriages, in our families, in our schools, in our jobs, in our lives. We need divine intervention our human affairs. And we ought to call on the name of the Lord because he's the only one that can truly satisfy the aches and the longings that we constantly feel. The day of Pentecost is a glorious day. God shifted how he relates to his people on that day. Because of that day, God with us is God in us. And his glory dwells with us and destroys barriers and enables us to live for the day of the Lord. That's God's gift to us. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, according to Ephesians 1. He is the seal of our salvation. And because of this fact, we we're never alone. We're never alone. No matter what we're facing, 
And no matter what doom and gloom is expressed, we're never alone. Because there is someone who is unseen, yet very, very present. And his presence is a reminder of his peace and his victory in all these matters. May it be so that we would learn today to walk in his peace and victory with him all the days of our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do not grieve as those without hope. Lord, it can be tempting to to feel like we are alone in the worst of times, in the darkest of times, in the most uncertain of times. And yet your word is clear. Your promises are true. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You've given us a guarantee of that reality and more. Help us to understand but not only are you with us, you are, you are in us. And that power that created the universe resides with us. And it can heal. It can restore. It can transform. Give us faith to walk in that as your church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.